Good morning. Hi, Marvin. Dr. Marvin hey, Trotter, the host of Mind Body Health. Yes, this is uh, this is Dr. Lloyd Klein. There's some background fuzz. Is that are the good? It's gone away. Okay. This is Dr. Lloyd Klein. He's a new cardiologist in town. We're lucky to have him. Um, he's very experienced, and I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Klein to say hello. Hi, good morning, Marvin, and good morning to the listeners. Um, so my first question is always, how, how did you get to Mendocino County from New York? Well, I was born and raised and educated in New York City. And uh, then uh, I made a stop off for five years at the University of Pennsylvania. And then uh, lived in Chicago and worked in Chicago for 30 years at Northwestern and at Rush Medical Schools. And a couple years ago, my wife and I moved to Sonoma County. I'm a professor at UCSF. And uh, for the last several months, I've been working several days a week at Ukiah. Uh, taking my experiences that I learned working in the city and the suburbs out to uh, a rural area, and I really greatly enjoyed it. Well, we're very happy to have you. um, You know, you have a lot of great experience as a cardiologist, and uh, we need more cardiologists. We have a population that's somewhere around 17 to 20% uh, Medicare, um, and we don't have nearly enough primary care or cardiologists. Um, just to start the show, um, why don't you discuss a little bit about cardiology and why why people are scared to see you? <laughs> um, well, basically, people don't want to be sick, and they certainly don't want to be sick with a heart problem. Uh, they're very afraid of that, and uh, sometimes they don't recognize that cardiology in the last 20 to 30 years has developed all kinds of new procedures and techniques that uh, allow us to to cure diseases um, with a minimal amount of uh, discomfort, and um, they shouldn't be afraid of seeing me. Yes, um, I'm a uh, living example of that from 18 months ago when I got a stent and I was surprised how smoothly everything went, how very little pain, and had a great result. It was, um, like you say, things have come a long way from everybody getting the cabbage. Or maybe you could ex- explain that. Well, um, I was one of the first people in uh, Philadelphia and in, then later in Chicago to do uh, balloon angioplasty and then about 25 years ago, put in coronary stents. Uh, this was oh. one of the areas that I was a pioneer in. And um, we have come a long way. Um, in the old days, um, it was a little bit of a gamble. And it was also um, a little bit of uh, certain per- patients would require uh, an emergent operation. And this was a problem for the patient. And it was a problem for the doctor, of course. With the advent of coronary stents and a lot of new uh, drugs that were great adjunctive uh, treatments, this no longer happens. Um, People almost never uh, require uh, needing an emergency operation after a stent. And um, increasingly, we're able to put stents in multiple arteries, in multiple situations, and the surgeons actually turn to us to fix the problem rather than uh, than have their uh, have an operation. If I may ask you to take a quick step back, sirs, and could you just tell us what cardiology is and what a cardiologist does, and a little bit of history of that position being specialized leading up to today, and you know modern surgeries and stints and so forth. Sure. Well. Um, Cardiology, a cardiologist takes care of uh, patients with uh, heart disease. And uh, the heart has, uh, uh, is an organ which pumps blood to the rest of the body. Uh, in order for it to work, it has to have blood flow within it. It has to have the valves working. The muscle of the heart has to be functioning. And the electricity of the heart has to be working correctly. 
And cardiology uh, has split off into subspecialties with different physicians specializing in each one of these parts of the heart. And each one of them has had uh, new developments, new techniques, new drugs. And um, in fact, I would say the last 25 years has shown more advance in, in cardiology than in any other area of medicine. It's been an amazing thing. It's been a great marriage between medicine and engineering and uh, industry. And uh, it's, you know, patients have, are the great beneficiaries of that. Could you explain to people what a stent is? Because it's really hard to imagine physically what you do to put a stent in. Um, but maybe discuss what a cardiac catheterization is and then why you would need a stent. Well, a stent is a very small metal tube. If you remember when we were children, what uh, Japanese handcuffs used to look like when you would get your fingers stuck in this thing and you would pull it and it would get tighter. This kind of weave of metal is the basic sense of what a stent is. And it's mounted on a balloon. And then the idea is to place the, the catheter into the right place in the coronary artery where there's a blockage, inflate the balloon, and the stent stays there. The, uh, the operation is uh, done under local anesthesia. It's a needle prick either in the wrist or in the groin area. Um, there is minimal sedation necessary. It really doesn't hurt at all. And um, an angiogram we take x-ray pictures to see where the blockages are, and then the stent is placed there. Uh, ordinarily, the procedure will take between a half an hour and two hours, and the patient can often go home the same day or the next morning. It really is incredible. I think that um, for people to understand, there's three arteries that feed your heart, so the muscle um, beats correctly, and you can have diffuse disease everywhere, or you can have very small uh, area, um, but high up enough in the bloodstream uh, that it can cause catastrophic uh, problems. Um, uh, but let's go over angina. Not you know, uh, tell tell us about uh, people and and when you should be worried about having a heart attack or heart problems. I think the major symptoms that we have to be concerned about and which a, a patient needs to say, I kind of need to find a cardiologist to talk to, or at least a primary uh, physician, um, fits under the rubric of chest pain. I don't like the word pain because it suggests to people something sharp and something that's awful. And that's not really how heart attacks feel. It's more of a tightness pressure sensation and typically occurs when the patient is doing something exertional, walking, uh, carrying, lifting, that kind of thing. Um, and that kind of symptom is something that ought to bring a patient to at least talk to a doctor and see where that goes because lots of things cause chest discomfort. Shortness of breath, especially with exertion, is another symptom which uh, patients should say, uh, I don't know if this is my heart, but I really need to talk to somebody about this, especially if you're feeling more short of breath at uh, less levels of exertion than you did a few weeks or a few months ago. That's, that's a troubling sign. Um, if you read in a textbook, it says that uh, heart pain will be felt in the left shoulder or the left arm. And sometimes that happens um, and uh, it is concerning, but I get much more concerned when a patient tells me that they have neck pain. Uh, when people have pain, especially in the front of their neck, that's often a sign of a severe uh, blockage and needs to be handled immediately. Could you talk a little bit about risk factors? And uh, and isn't it true like 25% of people don't have any risk factors? Um, you know, as to who, you know, because at a certain age, 
Um, I think it's like going to see the dentist. You should go see the cardiologist once in a while. Well, that's true. Uh, I guess I guess the way of looking at it is living in the United States and eating an American diet is itself a risk factor. Um, uh, if you like going to uh, fast food uh, emporiums, if you uh, eat high fat foods, this is the kind of thing that will raise the cholesterol and in and of itself are risk factors. Um, and this can be managed. Um, I think that the number one thing that your listeners should know is that cigarette smoking is correctable. That can be stopped. And uh, about 20% of Americans continue to smoke cigarettes. And uh, that's something that needs to be worked on immediately. Obesity and its leading to diabetes is another major factor. It's probably the reason why Americans increasingly are suffering from heart disease. Um, and again, we have drugs and we have other techniques to limit that. Anybody with family history, anyone with high blood pressure, um, these kinds of things can be treated, they can be looked at, and, um, and in some cases, completely obviated. I think that's an important point to see, you know, if you if you're, have a family history of problems with cardiac disease, if you're a diabetic, you're a smoker for 30 years, you have hypertension, I think it's sort of upstream medicine to see a cardiologist or an internist or your family practitioner to treat your cholesterol and diabetes and hypertension and talk to them about any symptoms because once you've had a heart attack and lost the heart muscle, you're, you're downstream. Uh, you know, see somebody upstream. You know, the old saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure is absolutely true in cardiology. Yeah. Um, um, Let's uh, take just a moment here. Okay, Cobb, go ahead. Hey, we're tuned to KZYX Radio, everybody. This is the Mind Body Health Show. Uh, yeah, my name's Cobb. I'm engineering in the studio. Our host today is Dr. Marvin Trotter. And will you reintroduce our guest, Marvin? Sure. This is Dr. Lloyd Klein. He's a new cardiologist in Ukiah. He's very experienced. Um, he he um, uh, knows what he's talking about, and uh, you should go see him. Um, and we're just talking about prevention being worth a pound of cure. Yes. <laughs> prevention, prevention, prevention. You know, uh, it's amazing how many people are diabetic smokers or have a family history and have a elevated cholesterol and don't see the um, importance of treating the problem now rather than later. Um, um, I have a, fa a family history, and I take a cholesterol medicine every day, having had a stent. Uh, so what if I take a pill a day? If I don't have a, another episode of angina, it certainly is worth it. Um, uh, you could talk about that again, but also I'd like you to talk about heart failure, because I think people don't understand hypertension and heart failure very well. Well, um, so we have, uh, for prevention, uh, we have um, many different kinds of, uh, of pharmacologic approaches. Some can be used in combination with, uh, with other techniques, diet, exercise. Um, these are all factors that relate to the prevention aspect um, and uh, to just talk a little bit about prevention in terms of diet, um, we now know a lot more than we knew about this many years ago. This is about uh, high-fat foods, not so much cholesterol, but high-fat foods. And so uh, the kinds of foods that um, um, you might find in fast food products, in uh, greasy products, uh, in potato chips, for example, uh, these are uh, uh, not so good for you. I don't want to attack fast food emporiums. Some of them have done a great job lately in trying to change their menu and make them a little bit more heart healthy. Uh, McDonald's a few years ago changed its French fry um, recipe to something that wasn't so uh, atherogenic. And 
uh, they should be complimented on that. Wow. Good for um, uh, Hypertension uh, is a very common American illness. Um, we live in a stressful world and we live in a stressful environment. And uh, the way this uh, manifests in, in us is uh, by having high blood pressure. Um, some of us are salt sensitive. Others uh, require other kinds of medications. Um, the average American with hypertension requires about two and a half different kinds of drugs to treat it. Um, some people have very severe hypertension and it can be uh, a real struggle getting their blood pressure under control. And others, um, they're on a medicine or two and uh, all they do is take a couple of pills a day and it's resolved, which is a fabulous thing. Um, and uh, if you don't treat hypertension, as you said, um, Marvin, the, um, the major risk besides coronary disease is heart failure. By the way, another is kidney disease, which is not my field, but we see it all the time. Um, but uh, uh, hypertension, which is left untreated, can lead to uh, heart failure. Uh, this uh, manifests as swelling in the feet, as a feeling of bloating, uh, inability to breathe and to do your daily chores of life. Um, and once we get to that stage again, there are treatments and we're coming up with newer and better ones all the time. Um, but um, once it develops, it's developed. It's much better to get to things before uh, we reach that point. So I have a question, doctor. I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit more. Uh, you were speaking about angina and the various signs and symptoms related to that, not just limited to, you know, the blanket of chest pain. But can you talk about a little bit how the heart works in terms of relating to hypertension? I guess where I'm wondering is my understanding is that with the heart, uh, a lot of those signs and symptoms are related to the muscle not getting enough oxygen. And what do you see in the heart muscle related to stress and hypertension and the veins and so forth, even in an individual who might be otherwise pretty healthy? Well, that's a very complicated uh, question, and uh, we don't have all the full answers to answer that um, right now. What I can tell you is, is that um, the heart is a barometer, basically. And we know the thickness and the function of the muscle normally. When somebody has high blood pressure, the heart has to compensate to produce that kind of increased pressure that it's not intended to. So the walls of the heart get thicker. They get very thick. That requires uh, more blood flow and more blood vessels to grow, which sometimes doesn't happen. And as the heart muscle gets thicker, in order to contract harder, the heart doesn't relax as well. And so the blood starts to back up in the lungs. And so um, that basically is the original uh, cause. It then becomes much more complicated because once you start having backup of uh, salt and water in the lungs, the kidneys start to get involved. And they start to produce all kinds of hormones that relate to salt and water metabolism, a lot of endocrinologists actually think and consider heart failure to be an endocrine disorder for that very reason, because a lot of the drugs we then use to treat heart failure have much more to do with its effect on kidneys and hormones than it does on the heart. Wow. I think I think one message from this show is that everybody should go see Dr. Klein and ask for lisinopril. <laughs> well, that's a great drug. That's one of the drugs um, which is in the class we call ACE inhibitors. ACE is one of the uh, enzymes that the uh, kidney uh, is involved with. And uh, that's an example. Isinopril is an example, a great example of uh, newer things that we have in the last 25 years that, you know, our parents and grandparents didn't have. I wonder, could you speak a bit about the heart's electrical system? I know when I think of heart disease and heart attacks, 
you know, my mind goes right to ventricular, ventricular fibrillation, CPR, those kinds of things. Could you talk a bit about that? Sure. So the basic um, anatomy lesson of the heart that uh, you probably learned in high school biology, but which you may not remember, is that uh, the human heart has four chambers. It has a right and a left side, and it has two atria and two ventricles. The electrical issues uh, emanate from either the atria or the ventricles. Ventricular arrhythmias are, uh, can be lethal. Atrial arrhythmias generally are not, and generally really just create symptoms which can be severe and a nuisance, but don't usually uh, cause the end of our life. The ventricular arrhythmias, as you mentioned, ventricular fibrillation, ventricular tachycardia are the ones which um, commonly uh, lead to cardiac arrest and often to death. We have ways of treating that both with medication uh, as well as with uh, implantable devices which interrupt the abnormal rhythm. For the abnormal rhythms in the top part of the heart, uh, we are talking basically about atrial fibrillation and another one called atrial flutter, which is related. Um, and again, these can be treated with medications. And there are procedures where we can uh, actually ablate the place in the atria which are causing the abnormal rhythms and make them go away. So we have so many options available to us these days uh, that um, continue to be developed and uh, are now uh, capable of being used in many patients. Could you talk a moment about aortic stenosis, which is a valvular disease that I think a lot more people have problems with than they realize. And I, I, you know, I used to see it all the time, not all the time, but, you know, a frequent problem in the ER. Aortic stenosis is a particular interest of mine. My father had aortic stenosis. And uh, many years ago, he was one of the first people to get a to get open heart surgery and a prosthetic aortic valve and do very well with it, uh, lived for another 30 years afterwards. Uh, We we still have uh, uh, those kinds of uh, valves. We call them prosthetic, like prosthesis, um, and they can still be uh, placed uh, by open heart surgery. One of the great things that have come up in the last five or 10 years is something which we abbreviate as TAVR, which basically uh, means that we can put in these valves again through an ant through the, a, a small uh, needle stick in the wrist or in the groin. You don't have to have open heart surgery, in which the uh, the cardiologist uh, puts these valves on top of the valve that you have that's diseased, and um, places it with a balloon or self-inflating device. And again, uh, you can go home in a couple of days. um, And these now have been shown to work um, at least as well in most cases as having open heart surgery. It's an amazing advance. And um, um, I've had any number of patients who've had the procedure and almost all of them have done extremely well. If the valve wears out and all these valves begin to wear out, we now are putting in valves over the valves. Um, So uh, it's an amazing, um, as I mentioned before, marriage of uh, industry and medicine. We've uh, miniaturized and developed new techniques. Patients should never be afraid of it. We should say that... um, Aortic stenosis uh, is very common as we get older in our 60s and our 70s uh, because of uh, atherosclerosis. Some people are born with a, uh, a common abnormality of the valve, which has, is no problem when you're younger, but becomes a problem as we're older. And uh, rheumatic heart disease uh, still in some places is an issue, and that's another cause of it. 
Can you go into more detail about these surgeries that you're saying are, are less invasive? When you talk an incision in the wrist or an incision in the groin, can you describe in more detail what you're doing? Because it sounds like a pretty fantastic imagery and picture of what's going on there. It, it's pretty fantastic. Um, basically, um, you... Uh, an operator, um, I did this for 30 years, you put a basically a needle in the artery in the wrist or an artery in the groin under local anesthetic, and you place a wire through the needle into the artery, feed it around to the heart, and then all of your work is done over a wire. Uh, a few years ago, I saw we had a, an electrical problem in our house, and I basically saw an electrician use the same technique using these wires to pass electrical wires in the ceiling. Um, and basically that's what we're doing in the vascular system of the body. Because the blood vessels don't have nerves inside of them, you can't feel the doctor working. You can't feel these things going in and out. It's completely painless. You don't notice that it's happening. You have, I have my patients uh, put on headphones and listen to music. We make them somewhat sleepy. And an hour, an hour and a half later, the problem is fixed. How do you know what you're doing in their body? Are you seeing as you're doing? Like, how, how, what's your perception like in order to complete this procedure? Well, that's a great question. And it's something that this was my great interest when I worked in the cath lab. Um, Part of it is an angiogram where you take, you're working under x-rays and you're injecting um, a, uh, a liquid which is clear to look at outside of the body, but with x-ray, it looks very dark. And so you use that to create basically a roadmap, uh, like on your phone or like AAA used to make, you have a roadmap and you follow it. We also have uh, ultrasound catheters. This was something that I was very involved with, where you can actually see things using uh, echocardiography from inside the blood vessels and see what you're doing. Uh, we have amazing techniques now that we can uh, image the heart and the vascular tree that um, allow us to uh, find the right place to position things and to do it correctly. I want to say that this is this is something that the listeners, uh, it's this is where you can be a smart person, uh, but you also have to be an artist. If you can imagine while the heart is beating, taking a one or two millimeter wire and threading it into an occlusion that's ninety five percent closed, getting it in there, then opening the balloon correctly and getting the stent placed without rupturing the artery, doing it in the right place where you don't put it where it's not needed, it really is a magical um, um, process. Um, and, it, and it isn't just a mechanical thing like you're screwing bolts together. It really is uh, quite a fantastic process, in my opinion. Well, I always enjoyed it. I love doing it, and I and I uh, uh, think that it's fantastic for patients. From from the operator standpoint, I'm not sure how much intelligence it takes. It does take some artistry, and basically, it's eye-hand coordination. You have to use your fingers to create very fine movements um, in order to position things exactly correctly. So you're looking at the x-ray screen and seeing what you're doing as you're moving it with your fingers. Um, and it's a, it's a spectacular way for me to make a living, and it's a spectacular thing for the patient who no longer has to undergo uh, open-heart surgery and a, uh, a, you know, and a recuperation period. So how many people... The patients that we do this in go back to work in a week or two. How many people are involved in those moments when, when that operation is taking place? Well, there's several people in the room. The operator, of course, often an assistant. 
uh, several uh, technicians and nurses in the room, and then outside of the room, several more who were monitoring blood pressure and the patient's rhythm and uh, so on and so forth. So you have a whole team, and the team has to work together, coordinate. Uh, they have to identify if something is uh, not going right. They have to identify that if it's not going right, what to do about it. Uh, if, if it is going right, then uh, everybody's relaxed. And um, it's, a, it's, it's an operating room kind of environment like you see on television in television shows. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. So, Dr. Marvin, I'm guessing your hope in bringing our guest today was that everyone listening out there is going to take measures so they never need one of these fantastic operations. I wonder if you both could go into the subject of just what uh, you mentioned before, like the whole preventative care plan and what that looks like for somebody on a regular basis, both men and women. Um, well, uh, it depends exactly on what the risk factors are. Cigarette smoking, uh, some people will try to do it uh, cold turkey. Others, we can help them with uh, Shantix uh, pill or uh, chewing gum or patches. Um, and uh, that is um, a very uh, straightforward thing to do once the patient wants to quit smoking and has accepted that they want to stop. It can be done. Um, Hypertension requires some uh, sensitivity to salt intake and taking uh, medications. Um, cholesterol and diabetes is all about weight loss, watching your diet, being aware of what you're eating, portion control. Um, and again, in some cases, um, uh, medication. Um, and we have all sorts of medication to lower cholesterol uh, and to treat hypertension. And I would just argue that um, people that are over 50, I'm going to pick out a, you know, an age, 50, you should be thinking about these things and seeing somebody because it's not, um, you know, you don't want to wait till you have 90% blockage of an artery to you want to start addressing these issues. Uh, I would start at 50 and just get a panel. Do you have a cholesterol problem that could be totally genetic? What's a um, panel, Marvin? Yeah. What? What's a panel? You said get a I'm panel. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, we have your blood drawn. You can get your fasting cholesterol. How much of it is good and bad cholesterol? Um, are you diabetic? What's your A1C, which is how much sugar is on your red blood cells? Um, what your blood pressure is. I think that's the number one thing that people walk around for decades don't realize that their blood pressure is 10 or 15 points higher and and does long-term damage before they realize it. Blood pressure is uh, well known as the uh, silent killer because you feel nothing. Um, you feel fine. Um, and the problem is, is that meanwhile, your body is uh, being damaged in all of the blood vascular systems throughout the body. And, um, and yet it's so easily handled with, um, with medication. Um, I should just say just a moment. I'm sitting here talking to you because a year and a half ago, Dr. Devak Garuni put a stent in my LAD. And I left the hospital the next day, had no damage to my heart, and was painless. And, you know, it was wonderful. And I don't have diabetes you know, or hypertension or any of these other problems. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was um, talk about a stress test because I think that's that's something people don't realize. It's a painless 15-minute procedure um, that that's very informative. So when somebody has symptoms like the ones that we've been discussing, that doesn't mean that they have a heart problem. These things can be due to any number of uh, non-cardiac uh, issues. Some of them are benign. Um, and so 
we don't just race everybody into having an angiogram. We want to figure out who really needs to have it. And the way we do it is with a stress test. Because cardiac symptoms and findings are brought out with exertion, so we have the patient exert themselves. Um, the typical classic is to have them walk on a treadmill. Uh, while their EKG is monitored, and we increasingly uh, uh, add either a cardiac ultrasound or a, a nuclear medicine test to that. It enhances its accuracy. For people who can't walk on a treadmill or who are afraid to walk on a treadmill, there are other uh, modalities as well involving certain uh, intravenous medications which cause the heart to exert itself uh, through pharmacologic means. Um, and these tests have uh, very high accuracy. They're painless. Uh, it's an office kind of procedure. You don't have to be admitted to the hospital. You come in, you have the test, and you go home an hour later. Prevention, prevention, prevention. You want to take questions now, Cobb? Uh, sure, I'll put that out to the listening audience. So we're tuning to KZWAX. I can talk cardiology all day. Yeah. So we're, we're tuning to KZWAX Radio. Our host today is Dr. Marvin Trotter. My name's Cobb. I'm engineering. Our guest today is, I'm sorry that I, I misplaced your name. Dr. Lloyd Klein. Lloyd Klein. Thank you so much for being here, Lloyd. And he's a cardiologist. Um, if you have a question for our, our cardiologist guest or our host, Dr. Marvin Trotter, call in. The number is 707-895-2448, and we'll get you live on the air to ask your question. Uh, having said that, I, I wonder if, uh, Dr. Klein, if you could expand a bit on heart care, preventative care, surgery, that kind of thing, and the differences between sex and gender lines, if there are any, as far as how you address that. Women and heart disease is a uh, extremely important topic, uh, increasingly. Uh, in the 1950s, cardiac illnesses were perceived incorrectly as being a male illness. Um, that is certainly was probably never true and is certainly not true now. Uh, women can have the same risks as men, but the presentation is different. Uh, estrogen is a great protection against many of the risk factors that um, we've been discussing this morning. So we often see younger and middle-aged men present with uh, heart attacks, but very rarely do we see younger and middle-aged women present that way. But then as women undergo menopause in their late 40s or early 50s and the estrogen disappears, then women catch up. Um, and so you start to see in their 60s and early 70s uh, much more uh, problems in uh, women. Um, women also present differently than men, um, yeah. in part because it's gender specific, in part because women are different than men. Men, as you know, deny symptoms. Women are often much more perceptive to their bodies are much more used to finding doctors and seeking help. Um, and so uh, we often find uh, women presenting us at an earlier stage. And especially when the pain is severe, we notice that women who are having heart attacks present at an earlier stage than men. Um, often men are told to call the ambulance by their wives. Um, mm -hmm. They don't do it themselves, whereas women will call it on their own. And, uh, you know, in that sense, I wish that all of our patients uh, could act like women. Nice one. So we have a few callers holding on the line. Let's see if we still got this one. Are you there, caller? You Go ahead with your question. Yes, I'm here. 
Yes, I was curious. Uh, you talked about starting to address your heart health in your 50s. If you go in for your annual exam with your primary care provider, is that something that they'll address with you or something that you should be asking them about? Thanks for the question. That's a great question. Um, I think that, first of all, people ought to be addressing their heart health even in their 30s and 40s, and sometimes even in their 20s if they have family uh, history. Um, as uh, Dr. Trotter was saying, a lipid panel, a cholesterol test, is simply a blood test. And basically, uh, you can get that at any stage. If your primary doctor doesn't order it, absolutely, you should ask them about it. You should ask them about checking for diabetes. Um, routinely, they're going to check your blood pressure, of course. Um, but you need to inquire into it. What was my blood pressure? Was it borderline? What can I do to uh, lower my blood pressure? Um, I think that in general, um, doctors these days tend to be very busy. And sometimes we're so busy, we don't often talk to the patient when things are looking normal to tell them this is normal, this is what you're doing right, as opposed to what this, this is what you're doing wrong. Um, so I think that the best answer to your question is, is that when you go to see the doctor, ask them specifically about these issues. And even if it's okay, the doctor will be uh, much more enthusiastic about telling you uh, what you can do in the, tailored to your individual uh, case as to what you can do to co continue to stay in good health. Thanks. We have another caller holding on. And if you're out there listening and have a question for our doctor or our host, uh, the number to call is 707-895-2448. We'll get you live into the studio to ask your question. Uh, welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Are you with us there, caller? You're live on the air. So yeah, call in the number 707-895-2448, and uh, we'll pick up the phone. You might be on hold for a little bit while the previous questions are being answered, and you should hear the phone, or excuse me, the radio, through your phone receiver. And just wait a moment, and we'll get to you. Again, if you have a question for our cardiologist guest today... The number to call is 707-895-2448. Yeah, uh, working in the emergency department, it was always interesting to me how everybody thinks that there's supposed to be an elephant on their chest. And especially women have very different sensations. And there's so many different presentations of shortness of breath or chest tightness or I don't feel right or... Um, it, it was a very challenging thing, and I think the listeners should know that there's a lot of warning signs that aren't a elephant on your chest because that's 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 bad news. I think I could speak a little bit to some of the uh, preventative care and the need for it as we get another caller coming in here, which is just that I I remember a friend of mine who I believe is over fifty. A uh, very healthy person, uh, very athletic, you know, definitely doesn't fit the stereotypical picture of heart health or heart illness. And they were um, having mild symptoms, but it turned out they needed uh, surgery for their heart. And, you know, they got the, the very non-invasive surgery and continue to be healthy uh, since then. But, you know, they just didn't picture themselves as needing that kind of care. Uh, and it turned out that they had a, a very minor emergency. Um, as you pointed out, doctor, it was their partner, their wife, that called the hospital and insisted that they go. And they found out that the problem was there. And, you know, hopefully now everything's happily ever after. I know my friend is, you know, healthy and happy at this point. And we have a caller with a question for you as well. Okay, go for it. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Yeah, hi there. Thanks for the show. 
Um, what about getting like neuropathy in your feet, a tingling and numbness, stuff like that? What can you do for that? Thanks. Thank you for the question. Um, okay. Tingling in your uh, feet uh, or your fingers <coughs> um, can have lots of different causes. One of them uh, that we're very concerned about is vascular disease of the legs. Just as there can be atherosclerotic disease in the blood vessels of the heart, there can be uh, disease in the uh, arteries in the legs, uh, and then we can have um, uh, those kinds of what the, the, um, the medical terminology is called paresthesia, uh, this kind of tingling. It can be uh, brought on by cold weather. It can be brought on by exertion. And this is um, often in diabetics and frequently in smokers. And um, there are treatments for that disease in the legs, just as there are uh, with the heart that are non-invasive and which are very effective. Um, and so if you're having those symptoms, uh, you should be uh, tested uh, for uh, diabetes. If you're a smoker, you should be aware of that. And um, there are ways of testing to see what the blood flow to your legs are, just as there are ways of testing if there is uh, a problem with blood flow to the muscle of the heart. Thanks. We have another question. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Hi. Yes, I had a question about how stress and depression affect the heart. Um, I've been having a lot of um, like heart attack, it, well, Takazubo apparently mimics the heart attack um, with pressure on the chest and pains and um, shortness of breath. And I know the um, Takazubo stunts the function of the left ventricle. And I was just wondering, how do I go to be tested if it's just stress and depression or if it's the Takazubo itself? Well, that's a very important question. I hope that you will come in if you're having those symptoms and find a cardiologist and get a stress test. Um, it's, you can't tell by asking questions whether this is um, a heart problem or anxiety. Certainly in the last year with the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, people are losing jobs, uh, people are spending more time at home, they're not seeing their families. All of these things are uh, massively uh, uh, anxiety producing, and uh, we are seeing um, plenty of people with stress-induced uh, heart problems. Um, but as you said, the, some of these symptoms can be just due to stress itself. You cannot tell this by yourself, and, you can, and the doctor cannot tell it by listening to you speak. You've got to get a stress test and you've got to um, uh, have uh, other blood work done. And I, I would encourage your listener to find a doctor. Um, it may be nothing, but it may be something, and we would not want her to uh, have a health problem. All right. So the number to call is 707-895-2448. We do just have a few minutes to get in, but keep trying. If you have a question, we'll do our best to get your question in. Welcome to... Oh, I wanna, lost that one. I want to reiterate what Dr. Klein said, is that a stress test to me is the golden dollar. Uh, people have all kinds of symptoms, but having a stress test um, uh, is uh, a wonderful test. It's not that expensive. It's not that difficult, and it um, helps a lot. Welcome to Mind Your Health. will cover, uh, in almost all cases, Medicare or uh, other insurance will cover the cost of uh, stress tests. You should not worry about the cost of the stress test to limit you from getting it done. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Yeah, thank you for a very important show. And I have a question for people who, uh, people like me, that is, who have basically untreatable hypertension. Uh, I remember the first time I got told I had high blood pressure. I was a freshman in high school um, getting a physical for wrestling. And I'm, I don't know what the reading was, but I know the doctor, the nurse asked me, did you run here? 
I just and then when I started getting blood pressure readings, you know, college, you know, uh, graduate school, all these things, it was always everyone was pretty horrified. You know, now I'm on you know six or seven different blood pressure medications, some of which you don't normally take together because they're I guess they interfere with each other or something. But basically, my cardiologist said, well. That one doesn't seem to be working on you, so let's add this one and see if it does anything. So, you know, there's a certain genetic component to this, and maybe I'm just stress-reacting to everything my whole life, but it's not always high. I go take a hot bath, and I'm feeling relaxed, and it can go down into, you know, pretty good numbers. But in general, my numbers are really high, and regardless, I've had various doctors express frustration about well, I, I, I think the caller is an exception to be on that many drugs. I think Dr. Klein was talking about that because the majority of people are on, only on one or two medicines, correct? Yeah, the, the average is uh, two or three. Uh, I do see patients with very severe hypertension. Seven is a lot of drugs to be on. It's usually not that necessary to be on seven. Um but uh, four or five is uh, not uncommon for these patients with uh, very malignant hypertension. Uh, it sounds like you've had this since uh, you were uh, uh, young, talking to the listener. And, um, but for most people, you want to check out um, uh, kidney function. You want to check out whether there are blockages in the arteries uh, feeding into the kidney whether there are other hormonal issues uh, that relate to it. And uh, uh, secondary causes of hypertension in, in people with uh, such severe high blood pressure should always be sought. Um, so we're coming up on the um, end of our hour. Uh, you know, I think that um, seven medications is exceptional and uh, usually not necessary. Let's get one last question in. Oh, we still got one caller we can try here. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Um, I was wondering, thank you so much for the show, um, um, if the doctor is familiar with the great work that Dr. Um, Esselstyn does in reversing heart disease through diet, and I'll take my answer off the air. Okay, thanks. We have just um, about a minute, so you got 30 seconds, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there, the idea of, uh, of um, preventing heart disease through uh, various uh, dietary uh, means um, is uh, well known. Some of them are very effective. Some of them are not. And I would just encourage the listener uh, to also see a regular physician and have their cholesterol checked and have these other screening uh, tests. Some, some of these techniques are very valuable and some are not. Got it. Thanks. So we've been tuned to Mind Body Health. Thanks for doing the show, Marvin.